Welcome to Strangeland, everybody. It is me, your host, Dr. Dark. It has been a hot minute since I brought you an episode. Um, no excuses. Just is what it is. But um, this week, we're back. And I am going to dive into simulation theory. Now, before anybody gets all, you know, in a tizzy, I understand that simulation theory isn't a full-blown conspiracy theory. I think it kind of is, but a lot of people don't. And that's fine. I think that, you know, it, at a minimum, that it falls within the pantheon of conspiracy theories. That it falls underneath, in, in, under the umbrella that is conspiracy theories. So, let's, let's get into this. Simulation theory. Actually, before I get into that, before I get into that, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. 2023 is, uh, let's see, four days old at this point. Pretty boring so far compared to the last few years. Aside from our Congress being a hot mess right now and, you know, Republicans can't figuring out who they want to nominate as the Speaker of the House, but I digress. So simulation theory. What it is, if you don't know, is a theory that has been around for a little while, and it attests that we are living in a simulation. When I say we, I mean, let's just, the human race. That we are not actually here. That we are, again, we are living out a simulation. Now, who is running this simulation? Don't know. But the easiest comparison, and one that's probably, you know, at the front of your minds right now, is the Matrix. And that's exactly what it is. That's what this theory is, is that we aren't actually here. Are our bodies somewhere? Are they, is it just our brains? Is it just our, you know, our consciousness that's being, that's, you know, hooked up somewhere? And that we are being played out like a video game. Maybe we don't exist at all. Maybe we, tr- maybe we literally are just programmed. We are a program. We are zeros and ones. We are computer code. Maybe that's the case. But to start this off, we're going to kind of back up here. There was a Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist, maybe? I think he was a physicist. I'm going to sound really stupid here. Yes. Nobel Prize winning physicist Enrico Fermi. He hypothesized and he came up with the Fermi paradox. And what the Fermi paradox 
essentially states is, given the vastness of our universe and how long the Earth and our solar system has been estimated to be in existence, comparatively speaking, because the Earth and our solar system is, again, thought to be roughly four and a half billion years old, whereas the rest of the universe is hypothesized to be roughly 13.8, almost 14 billion years old. So if there was life before us, other life forms out there, aliens, whatever you want to call it, they could have been here a long, long ass time. And when I say here, I mean just, you know, here in the universe, not necessarily here on Earth. But the Fermi paradox, what, it, what it's basically asking is this. Again, given how long we, you know, we've been around, why haven't we been visited by aliens yet? And the question, the main question that came out of the Fermi paradox is, where is everybody? So you can take that a couple different ways. You could take that as, well, you know, we are the only ones. There's been no other intelligent life forms, you know, throughout the entire 14 billion years. You could say that. You could also say that intelligent life has already visited Earth at some point in our history. Weren't impressed? Bounced? Who knows? Another hypothesis is that there is a higher level of species than us humans. And that higher level of species are the ones that are running a simulation on us. Again, purely a hypothesis. But that all leads into what is called the Drake equation. Again, another noted physicist, Frank Drake. And he was a um, a researcher for um, this group, this, you know, whatever you want to call it, called SETI, S-E-T-I, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And what Frank Drake did is he developed an equation to assess for the probability of extraterrestrial life. So we're going to kind of, I'm going to kind of, you know, map this out here for you. So part of this equation and part of what, you know, is fed into this is, you know, in our galaxy, there is 200 to 400 billion stars and approximately 2 trillion galaxies in our universe. So again, 200 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy and approximately 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. That's a lot of galaxies and that's a lot of flipping stars. Within our galaxy, 
there are approximately 6 billion Earth-like planets. Again, we already talked about how long the, um, it's estimated that our universe has been around. And you may be asking, you know, where, well, where are these numbers coming from? Well, they're coming from people that are wicked smart. Wicked smart. That's my poor Boston accent. But it's coming from, you know, physicists, mathematicians. And trust me, I'm not that smart. And it, it pains me when I try to explain some of these things. But let me just say that many of the advances that we have had in our technology over the years is due to these same physicists, mathematicians, etc., who have developed equations and have proven some of these equations. And again, this has allowed us to, you know, to prosper, to advance our, you know, technology to where we're at right now. So if you think about that, with all the different galaxies out there, all the different planets, there's a high, high, high probability that there's other intelligent life. So now to bring that back to the Drake equation, that intelligent, those alien life forms, think about our technological advances. Their technological advances could be so far, so far out there, so far beyond our scope, beyond what we can even imagine. Because think about it. Elon Musk made a, he made a uh, comment, I don't, know, I don't know how many years ago, and I know Elon Musk is a trigger word for some people, but just, you know, hang in there. It'll be okay. But Elon made the point, because he's been asked, you know, do you believe that we are living in a simulation? And he, you know, has stated that it's, it's possible. 50-50. And part of where he went with that is, you know, what was it, maybe 40, 50 years ago, which is not that long. Pong, the video game Pong, came out. And if you've never played Pong, it is the most basic game ever. In a small, small, small amount of time, we have gone from Pong to what we see today, the hyper-realistic video games that are out there, the VR that we have now, which looks like shit, in my opinion. But, but, but again, the advances in our technology in this small amount of time. I mean, there's millions of people that are older than Pong that are still alive right now. So that's a small amount of time. And we improved that much. So go back to thinking that, you know, another 
civilization out there who has been around possibly you know in infinitely longer than us their technology could be just unreal and there is there is where it ties into the whole simulation theory that it's possible it is possible because of how high tech the technology of these other, you know, of these aliens could be that they could be running a simulation. Again, a hyper realistic, obviously, simulation. And, you know, there, there's another hypothesis that comes along with, you know, that I don't know if it was actually, you know, part of the Drake equation or I, I, I can't recall. Anyways, but what it was is it's the planetarium hypothesis. And what it surmises is that, you know, we we've, haven't found any other intelligent life. Therefore, we are in a simulation. And this, this, again, this is definitive per this hypothesis that we haven't found any other life out there because that other life forms are running us. They, they, they fabricated us. Our perceptions of reality in this hypothesis would, our perceptions of reality would be built in real time on demand rather than there being like an existing world. So for the video game people out there, Imagine like uh, Minecraft or just an open world game, Grand Theft Auto on a different scale. So imagine that you're a character in Minecraft. You have no idea how big the world that you, you know, that you live in. You, You have no idea how big it is. Now imagine that that world is the the entirety of the world is not all there. It's not always there. It is actually being built in real time on demand. So as that character in Minecraft or as that character in Grand Theft Auto, as they are progressing throughout the world, the world, the buildings, the other people, Everything is being built in real time and on demand to cater individually to those respective characters. Mind blown. There's a gentleman by the name of Nick Bostrom. Nick Bostrom, um, he was in Oxford professor, I believe. And back in 2003, he, he, he wrote a paper or a thesis or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And he was arguing, he was, he was discussing simulation theory. And so what his argument showed was that at least one, at least one of the following propositions is true. So I'll, I'll, you know, 
We'll go through them here. Number one, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Number two, any post-human civilization is extremely, extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history or, you know, variations of it. Number three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. And it follows the belief that there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-humans who run, yeah, who run ancestor simulations, essentially running, you know, a simulation on what, on our history. So going backwards. And that assumption, it's, we, we can't even assume that to be the case unless we are currently living in a simulation. And there's a number of other consequences of this result that, you know, that he discusses. Glitches. You know, glitches in the matrix. Versus the normal, you know, frailties of our minds. Examples of that, you know, hallucinations, psychological disturbances, <clears throat> visual illusions, fraud, deja vu. There's that famous scene in The Matrix where, uh, of the cat. And this is before, you know, this is before Neo, you know, dives deep into The Matrix. But he had he it's, he has a deja vu moment of seeing a cat, and then he you know he's awake at this point, at least he thinks he is. Again, it's his reality in that moment. He sees this exact same cat, and whatever the cat was doing, it happens all over again. And it was a glitch. It was a glitch in the matrix that allowed that simulated cat, that simulated reality to, you know, to happen again. Again, a glitch, like a record skipping. This is no more or no less plausible than any other theory out there on our existence. It just isn't. If you have an open mind, and if you are willing to look at, you know, just look, take a step back, take a deep breath, especially if you believe in God, deep breath, everybody. It'll be okay. But take a step back, look at it objectively. Christians are told, you know, there's this omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient God, the Christian God that created everything. And what proof do we have of that? A book. Again, proof. I'm using the term proof very loosely here. 
but we have a book that has been, you know, written, rewritten, reinterpreted. Shit's been added to it. Shit's been taken away. People have, you know, the apostles or, you know, the book of whatever, Mark, John, whatever. Some of those are, you know, thought to have just been complete fabrications. So you have that. You have simulation theory. Again, we don't have any hard, solid evidence that this is true. But is it feasible? Hell yes. In fact, because I believe science and scientists, physicists, far more than I believe the Bible, I feel like this, there's a higher probability of this being the case. The problem, though, lies in that there's, there's no way to prove it. You can't prove something that you can't replicate. Does that make sense? I mean, yes, we can create a video game, a simulation. Hell, there, there was a computer game back in the day called The Sims. We have that, but we cannot prove that we ourselves are living in a simulation. So again, it's possible. Let's take it to another level. Everybody's heard of Scientology. Everybody's probably laughing right now. I used to be, I used to mock the hell out of Scientology. I still think it's a little silly. But again, take a step back, look at it objectively. L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, states that we are, you know, that, that, we are here, that there's little things called, I think it's Thetans, 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 whatever. He has this whole entire batshit crazy belief system, religion. But can it be proven? Nope. Can it be disproven? No. So is it plausible? Sure. And that's what I'm getting at here. Is that there is a, a good probability, possibility, whatever, that you, sitting there in your car, you sitting there with your earbuds in at Starbucks, listening to this podcast, that you're not really there, that I'm not really here. Does any of this matter? No, none of it matters because I'm, you know, once I'm done recording, I'm still going to shut it off. I'm still going to you know, go about the rest of my day. 
Whether this is a simulation or not has no bearing on that. Because again, can't prove it, can't disprove it. It just is what it is. And Elon Musk, I'm sorry. Elon Musk, obviously he has his thoughts. Um, But in addition to, you know, Frank Drake, Nick Bostrom, these other incredibly smart people who have, you know, hypothesized this in the past. One that you may know, probably the most famous physicist right now that's out there, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson has been asked about this. He believes it to be 50-50. And his reason for believing that is exactly what we've gone over already. If you just look at the advances in our technology versus if there's other life forms out there, which I believe there to be, they very well could be just running a simulation on us. But at some point, if that's true, if simulation theory is true, there has to be a set of beings who were the originators. It's always got to, it's got to start somewhere. Who knows if simulation theory isn't true? Maybe we as humans, maybe we are going to be the ones that get there. And we see this, you see, you know, things that touch on simulation theory all over the place. It wasn't, it's not just the matrix. There's an author named Philip K. Dick. He wrote the book Blade Runner. He was responsible for Total Recall, Minority Report. So he was already, you know, he was writing about these things, these possibilities. For quite some time. In, in, in these cases, you know, if you look at it, you could say, you know, many of these universes and these realities, the, the inevitably, the inevitably they will start to bleed over to each other. So not just like the deja vu thing that I brought up, but a true bleeding over. You know, that show on HBO called True Detective, the first season was hella dope. With Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey, amazing. The two seasons after that kind of sucked. But anyways, first season, Matthew McConaughey's character, while he's being interviewed by the police, because, you know, they, they, they time jump in that show. You know, and clearly when McConaughey's character is being, you know, interviewed by the police, he's, you know, he's well past his police career. And he says, time 
is a flat circle. And that realities exist like grooves in the record, in a record. So again, envision a, a record on a record player. And imagine that that flat circle that is that record, that that's time. And the grooves on the record are different realities. And from time to time, that needle will skip. That needle will jump. So you could have somebody that is in this particular reality who jumps into another reality and isn't always aware that they're doing this. And this does tie into simulation theory. So again, bear with me here because what this, what this boils down to is quantum physics. Modern quantum physics supports the idea of multiple universes existing. If we can assume, which shouldn't be a stretch, if we can assume that any of these, you know, other universes, again, we're going back here, has more advanced technology than we do, we can assume that they can simulate an entire universe from the start. It, for example, you know, literally from the start, stars, planetary systems, etc., and watch it grow on an evolutionary level. Much as we do with, you know, simulating weather and galaxies with our current technology. And once that happens, the number of fake universes will outnumber the real ones as Nick Bostrom hypothesized. And to what goes along with quantum in you know, the, the realm of quantum physics is something called quantum jumping. You ever heard, did you ever see, if you're in, uh, uh, an 80s kid, I think it was the 80s, might have been the 90s, the show Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula. I believe that they have redone, they did a remake of Quantum Leap. I haven't seen it. It's probably dog shit. But that's beside the point. In Quantum Leap, Scott Bakula's character is literally quantum jumping. Jumping from reality to reality. And jumping into, you know, different bodies. Different humans. Now, he's cognizant of it in that show. Like, he's hyper-aware. He knows that he is jumping into other individuals. But what that does is it supports the theory that there are many different realities, many different universes out there. In that, again, many of them could be fake, could be completely, again, just part of a computer. There's a gentleman, there's a, there's a physicist 
by the name of James Gates. And I'm going to play a little clip for you. Um, this clip actually involves Neil deGrasse Tyson as well. And I believe Neil deGrasse Tyson was the moderator of this. But James Gates, super, super smart, obviously. But a physicist who has been approached in the past about, you know, the concept of simulation theory. And from what I've read and what I've heard him say is that, you know, he used to feel like it was, you know, completely, you know, th that it was nonsense. Until he started working on, he started working on what they call string theory. And again, this is where I'm going to try to dumb this down, and I will probably dumb it down to the point where it's illogical, but I'll do my best. So string theory, basically what string theory is, is that for the longest time, scientists, physicists, mathematicians, that we've known about, you know, electrons, protons, atoms, etc. But through, you know, technological advances, mathematical equations, these same people were able to prove the existence of these particles. Particles so small that we cannot see them. Because in order for us to see something, in order for me to see this mic that I'm sitting in front of right now, I have to have light that is coming from wherever and bouncing off of this microphone and reflecting back towards me, and then my brain is interpreting that, and I see the microphone. Well, what they found is that there are smaller particles. There's particles called quarks, bosons. I think the other one's called like lapons, lapons. Again, could be screwing that up. And so for a long time, they, you know, felt that those particles were what make up our existence, our universe. And they're so small that they're so small that light cannot, you know, hit them. That light just passes through them. But then as they did more studies, as they did more, you know, develop more equations. What made some of this fall apart is the concept of gravity. So Einstein's theory of, you know, relativity, it, what it boils down to is that space-time, that it can be bent that it can like fold, almost like um, watching like a wave or watching um, like a waterbed. I know I'm dating myself here. And without getting into specifics, because I will definitely F this piece up, they have a hard time with the gravity aspect of things. 
But many different scientists, physicists, again, they then started working out more equations. And they started developing a hypothesis called string theory. And what string theory basically is, is that instead of individual particles that we touched on a few minutes ago, like the bosons, etc., the quarks, that instead of individual particles, there's actually strings. Strings that can be formed into like a, into like a, a circle that connect and that they're constantly moving. And when they're moving around, they're creating vibrations. And those vibrations are creating our existence. That they all have different frequencies. You following me here? So anyways, James Gates. He was part of, you know, researching string theory. And he started working on a theory called supersymmetry or super string theory. And I want you to hear this clip here because it is fascinating. The clip is fairly short, so I'll just shut up for a minute and play this for you. Well, partly it's taken to these very strange images that are behind your head right now. <laughs> these are pictures of equations. I've been, for the last 15 years, trying to answer the kinds of questions that my colleagues here have been raising. And what I've come to understand is that there are these incredible pictures that contain all the information of a set of equations that are related to string theory. And it's even more bizarre than that, because when you then try to understand these pictures, you find out that buried in them are computer codes just like the type that you find in a browser when you go surf the web. And so I'm left with the puzzle of trying to figure out whether I live in the matrix or not. <laughs> Wait, you're blowing my mind at this moment. So you're saying, are you saying your attempt to understand the fundamental operations of nature leads you to a set of equations that are indistinguishable from the equations that drive search engines and browsers on yeah, our computers? That is correct. So. The wait, wait, I'm still, wait, I have to just be silent for a minute here. <laughs> so you're saying as you dig deeper, you find computer code writ in the fabric of the cosmos? Into the equations that we want to use to describe the cosmos, yes. Computer code? Computer code, strings of bits of ones and zeros. It's not just sort of resembles computer code, you're saying it is computer code. It's not even just is computer code, it's a special kind of computer code that was invented by a scientist named Claude Shannon in the 1940s. That's what we find very, very deeply inside the equations that occur in string theory and in general in systems that we say are supersymmetric. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, the dialogue there was between James Gates and then Neil deGrasse Tyson was the one, you know, chiming in saying, you know, hold on a second. He was blowing Neil deGrasse Tyson's mind. 
But if you strip away all of the, you know, high intellect speak there, what it boils down to is he and other people, other physicists, who work out these equations, these unbelievably complex equations that are, you know, very integral pieces to our lives, that when, they, when he started digging into it, that there was computer code written into these equations. So think about this. That's possibly supporting that everything that we know about the cosmos, about ourselves, biology, that everything we know about ourselves has or could have computer code written into it. Not just computer code, like uh, James Gates said, error correcting code. This is, it's unfathomable. And this just, again, you heard him. He did not used to buy into the whole simulation theory hypothesis. But you heard him. It's making him question. Question things. Am I living in the matrix? Who the flip knows? So what do you all think? Do you think that it's, you know, that it's feasible? Does it change anything? Will it Will it change your thought processes going forward? Because what I'm doing with this podcast is I'm not trying to convert people into believing certain conspiracy theories. I'm not. What I'm trying to do is present the argument for some of these, you know, theories. Because some of them, the evidence is pretty damn compelling. And I think one of the most important things that we can do in our lives is continue to keep an open mind about things. Because this is where a lot of the divisiveness in our country, other countries, a lot of it stems from just this is my sole belief and you can't change my mind. But again, it's not always about changing your mind. It's about making you think. You, you can still have your belief system. And that's cool. Good, good on you, whatever that is. But again, if you, open up, if you open up your mind and you're willing to engage and you're willing to entertain these different ideas, that's growth. It's 
to me, that's how we grow as human beings. That's how we, you know, progress. How we evolve. Because if nobody was open to other concepts, we wouldn't be where we're at today. So again, think about it. Oh, the other thing before I let you go, the other thing I, I meant to touch on this, this also, you know, could kind of help explain the whole Mandela effect. And again, if you don't, if you don't recall what the Mandela effect is, it is, it, it seems to have really, you know, gotten hot, taken hold over the past couple of years, like right when the pandemic hit. And the Mandela effect basically states, you know, not states, it shows things, items that a huge percentage of the population believes that they'll go to, that they'll, you know, swear on their own lives, that they remember something a certain way. But now, when it's presented to them, it's not the same. Something's off. And the reason it's you know called the Mandela effect is because many, many people will swear that Nelson Mandela, that he actually died, passed away while he was imprisoned. But everything that you see now is the opposite. That he didn't die while he was imprisoned. That he was released. That he got out. And again, it's not that everybody is believing that. It's that a large percentage of people are believing that. That this was the case. And now you're telling me that that's not the case. Hmm. Something's fishy. So anyways, I digress. And I'd like to read a quote from, there's a fantastic book called The Restaurant at the End of the Universe by an author, uh, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the restaurant at the end of the universe was part of, you know, a series of books that tied into The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And a quote out of this is this. There is a theory which states that if ever anyone discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is here, it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something even more bizarre and inexplicable. There's another theory which states that this has already happened. End quote. Well, that's about all I got for you. Again, off topic. Our Congress is an absolute shit show. It seems like it's crumbling from within. Maybe that's what we need. I don't know. 
But again, think about this. Hit me up. Social media. Just, you know, search for Welcome to Strangeland podcast. Email me. Welcome to Strangeland podcast at outlook.com. Let me know. Let me know what you think. But until then, holla. 